0: Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, I have Sybil Stewart on the show, and if you are not familiar with her, she is, or at least at some point, was an HR director, and she has become a speaker, brand strategist, and business coach known for a little, quote-unquote, sage advice. Primarily advocating for women, people of color, and the neurodiverse, she empowers them to redefine professional, and to own their brand without compromising their story. Her newsletter and blog, which is called Brandology, educates readers on how to build a strong personal brand, negotiate, and empowers them to enjoy life after corporate. As a serial hobby hopper, when she isn't speaking and coaching, she performs with the North Carolina Harp Ensemble. So juicy. Well, Sybil, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. And I'm all very much excited about talking about burnout because burnout is how I left corporate and I help women realize, women, people of color, and are diverse don't wait till you get to burnout, leave before that time comes, if, if you can <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, which, which really brings up the question, how do I know if it's time for me to leave? So before we answer that, though, take us on a journey and tell us what was your story like that led you to burnout?
1: Sure. So I was, like you said, a director of HR specifically in the DE&I space. There's a lot of media attention around diversity leader burnout and I lived it. So I had been in HR for almost 15 years and my very last year I was actually hospitalized. I was nearing stroke levels and oh I, was, I was never previously hypertensive. I was never previously anything. I'm a pesca vegan. So I, I lead a really healthy life. So I told somebody, I said, the math was not mathing. And I ended up in the hospital for a couple of weeks when I got out of the hospital. My employer immediately wanted me to return to work and I could not. I couldn't find the energy, the headspace, the words to advocate for myself in the way that I was trained and hired to advocate for others. There was no one in the room for me. Wow. And that was when I realized I had to leave corporate. And this is one of those moments that I I tell a lot of my clients and women I work with. I said sometime your niche finds you in the unexpected places. and my unexpected place just happened to be at Duke University. <laughs> so I'm really excited that I survived all, you know, blood pressures are normal now and I get to serve. Still in the diversity space, but in new ways
0: but what what exactly happened in the workspace that led you to burn out, led you to get hospitalized, led you to practically have a stroke yes <laughs> yes what, what, what was going on there? Lots of microaggressions
1: happened in the diversity space, and when you were the only it it amplifies all of the experiences. So I was the only person of color in leadership in the entire Mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. That's a different type of pressure. I was the only person championing for diversity programs in the organization. That's a different type of pressure. And not having tools or resources or support or administrative staff like every other director, right? I was not asking for special treatment. I said, I'm the only director without these tools and access to this information. Why? And the only thing that made sense was I was the person of color. I was a diversity person and I was called to figure it out. And when I saw those level of inequity (laughs) in the workplace, it weighed on me because now you're jeopardizing my job. You're jeopardizing my livelihood. And I don't understand. And then everything dominoed from there. I started having panic attacks. I started getting really anxious about showing up, trying to figure out who was going to undermine me on what particular day I went to work, realizing yeah. no matter the training I did, people didn't get past how I looked or why I showed up in the workplace in the way I did. And, and when people are uncomfortable, they lean into the stereotypes associated with what they see. And now we'll
0: pause, pause, pause. Repeat that.
1: When people get uncomfortable, they lean into the stereotypes based off of what they see. So my reputation no longer mattered.
0: Wow. That is, that's a powerful statement. That's a really powerful statement. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm listening to this and I've got a question and I have to ask, so here you have an organization that hires you specifically to be the DEI person, and then they don't give you any resources. So is it a what I call the check-the-box syndrome, or am I missing something? Like, is there something else going on? Why did that happen? Because you would think, like, if they really didn't care, they wouldn't even have hired you in the first place, right? So is it, is it like a perception thing, or do they really care, but then don't prioritize it?
1: I think it was both, and I think the perception, especially on the heels of George Floyd, was everybody needs a diversity champion. You get extra kudos if you hire a person of color, even though the statistics show that predominantly it's white males who are the diversity, but 80%. Um, oh, for real? eighty percent.
0: That's crazy.
1: So, right, they thought the jobs are going to women, people of color. No, they're still figuring it out. And the other part that I don't think people realize is allyship is hard. And most people are not prepared for the difficult conversations that come from being an ally. And when you have to realize your habits are informing the systems that you work for, then you have to look at you. And most people don't want to have that conversation with themselves. And so it's really easy to say, this person is against culture, or this person is not a good fit, or I don't know why this person is trying to make me be something I'm not. And that's not it at all.
0: Wow. Okay. So we have you as the only person of color in the organization. You are the only person of color in the organization, or any person at all in the organization that's championing for these causes you get no support, and you feel undermined. Yes. And then you're saying that people are then leaning into their stereotypes on top of all of it.
1: Correct. And I don't talk above a whisper, but I distinctly remember being called angry in certain meetings. When I stood up for myself or set boundaries, I, I remember being called unprofessional, which I've got three of those moments. That's one of them. And I remember those moments thinking, but what about everything I've done up until the day that I disagreed with you specifically, or disagree with the actions specifically. Right.
0: In other words, as long as you agree with me, you're professional. Correct. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and then don't, I feel like there's a cliffhanger here. So what are the other two unprofessional moments?
1: The second time, which actually was the first time in my career, very first job, I got called unprofessional was when I reported sexual harassment against a senior leader.
0: Whoa.
1: And I got terminated about a couple of weeks after that I reported it.
0: Man, you can write a book on this stuff. This, this is insane. <laughs> and is insane. Listen, if anybody's listening to this and you've got insane stories about the workplace, bring them here because I love all these insane. I want to expose all of it. Unbelievable. OK, so so we've got like two unprofessional moments, quote unquote, what's the third?
1: The third one was when I chose to challenge the unfair dress code in the workplace. And I wasn't challenging it in a way where I was showing up in anything skimpy, but I wanted to be able to advocate for what we now call the transgender population before that became, you know, the title and term, there was a very specific woman who wanted to wear boots, jeans, et cetera, on dress down day. And being a woman in the workplace, it's like, no, dress down day for you is still, you wear a skirt, you wear stockings, you wear things. So i very intentionally <laughs> dressed out in a, what I call gender agnostic attire. I was still pressed, clean, appropriate. And got called unprofessional because h r isn't allowed to do these things
0: so so for those of us who are um, verbally challenged, give us a visual. What did you come dressed as, and what was the expectation that would have been quote unquote professional?
1: Yes, yeah, so the expectation for women, even on dress down days were that we were still going to wear some sort of khaki or slacks, perhaps a modest skirt of course, below the knee, and you could wear something. It couldn't be sleeveless. It had to be a cap sleeve. If you wore something sleeveless, you had to put a blazer or a sweater on top of it. I showed up in Timberland boots because I own them. I wear them in the wintertime. It was chilly outside, very appropriate footwear. Jeans did not have holes in them. They weren't extremely baggy. And I had on a button down shirt, (laughs) nothing screams inappropriate about that. And yet I was called unprofessional.
0: And did they tie it into what you were trying to advocate for? Do you think, or was it like, what, what do you think was going on?
1: They thought I was just being noisy for no reason. (laughs) And I said, but isn't that what HR is? We're supposed to be the advocates for everybody at work. This is how I am advocating for this this very human person who wants to show up in the space. And a couple of weeks after I pulled my stunt, they revised the dress code.
0: (laughs) Wow. And, And what happened to that employee that you were trying to advocate for?
1: They stayed there. I left, obviously. Because once you challenge a system in the ways that I've been known, you can't stay long thereafter. Mm. So I knew I was writing my termination. I told somebody this every time I stood up for myself. I knew I was writing my termination letter,
0: Mm -hmm. which is a really important message. And I want to talk about this for just a moment. There's probably people listening to this right now Mm -hmm. that are like, I feel that every day when I go into work and I've been thinking about it standing up for myself, advocating for somebody else, or just leaving because this place doesn't reflect my values, right? And I feel stifled, or I feel like, you know, there's just unfair treatment or whatever's going on. And that's scary for a lot of people, right? Because we don't like uncertainty. And it's like, what am I going to do after this? Is this going to haunt me for the rest of my life? Am I going to get some sort of bad reputation that nobody's going to want to hire me? What would you say to people who are stuck in the fear and therefore not leaving their jobs?
1: Don't let fit cost you your life because there will always be another employer or create your own income, which is why we see so many people embracing entrepreneurship. The the uncertainty is in the system that we know is not working, yet its design is functioning in the way that it's intended. And until enough people are willing to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, we're going to continue to see burnout. We're going to continue to see workplace trauma. And I likened it to effects of PTSD. And every time I talk with a mental health professional, they say yes. These are signs of PTSD. It can take anywhere from three months to three years to get over it. And all you're doing is re-triggering yourself if you don't find an organization that's going to support you and how you show up in the world.
0: Yeah, so true. And we don't want anybody to go through what you went through, where you ended up in the hospital in really serious physical and emotional distress, right? It's just no job is worth that. And as you said, there's lots of jobs out there. So you just have to go and figure out a place that actually meets your values and doesn't stress you out. I mean, we always talk about this. You spend too much of your life at work to have it be toxic. Like it just doesn't work, right? Okay. So I know we kind of went on this path, but really you're here to talk to us a little bit more about, are you letting the workplace define you? And- you know, you've been through it and you're talking about how people can redefine professional, right? So there are some myths when it comes to this and we've already heard, you know, what other people think is unprofessional seems can be ludicrous. Yes, (laughs) but we want to hear your version. So what do you think is a myth when it comes to being professional?
1: I think the first myth about, professional in the workplace is that the people who blend in win and that's simply not true Mm -hmm. Uh, right the workplace is still very much a pyramid i don't care how flat an organization says they are the people who stand out accelerate and the people who figure out how to brand themselves well get ahead and that Mm -hmm. does not mean that you're the smartest person in the room that means that you created a story so powerful that everybody believed it And that's how people get to where they want to be in the world.
0: So in the entrepreneurial space, we call that branding and positioning, right? But when you're an employee, you really don't think about things like that unless you're like a marketing person, right? And so for all the people listening today who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, (laughs) how do they do this? How do they get to a point where they find a story to share about themselves that really defines them, where people are like, "Oh," and then they can accelerate their growth in the workplace.
1: Yes, it's it's about figuring out what you enjoy and what your skill set are, and selling it to an organization. Later in my career, I started writing my own job descriptions so that I knew what I was going to or not apply for, and that's exactly what I coached my executives too. I said, write the job description first, then go find it. I love it. Somebody needs your skill set. Somebody needs your wisdom.
0: And I'm going to add to that a little woo woo for those of you who are into that. I believe that you're calling in what you want because you have total clarity. You've put it down on paper. And usually we don't do that, right? We're like, okay, who's going to take me? What do you want from me? I'll do whatever you want. That doesn't really work. So I love to tell this story. I had a client once who came to me in a panic and she was like, my au pair just quit on us. And she had these two little kids and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was having a really hard time finding somebody. So I said to her, take out a piece of paper and write out exactly what you want in an au pair. And really like the analogy I gave her was like, do you remember the movie, Mary Poppins? Yes. How did the movie start? Do you remember
1: the letter she the kids tore it all in the yeah,
0: (laughs) the kids wrote the letter, the the parent threw it like tore it up and threw it and then it went up, you know, the chimney and then she got it. But basically, they manifested her because everything that they wrote in that letter, that's who she she was. And she showed up and it was like, you know, to the T. And so I was like, for fun, let's do this Mary Poppins exercise, like just write it down. And I have to tell you something. It wasn't a week later that she called me and she's like, Sharon, you're not going to believe this. She was like in tears. She was like, I literally found the most amazing person.
1: Let me tell you about when I got very clear about writing my own job description first and I tied a salary to it.
0: Mm, oh, that's so powerful. And
1: And I doubled my income in nine months because I got extremely clear. I put a dollar down. To that job description, once I understood the value that I was bringing to the organization,
0: mm.
1: and that was the exact dollar of the job offer.
0: That's amazing. I, I'm so happy that you shared that. <laughs> right, because because yes, we're debunking myths, but it's also important to leave people with some actionable tips. And I think that if you haven't done that already, guys, yeah. try it free resource. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. All right, and then of course, if something that you write down absolutely manifests, definitely write us a note and let us know about it because we want to have all those stories to share. Okay, so myth number 2. Go.
1: Yeah, um I think the second myth is you have to be reflective of the company culture. And that's again not true and I think companies are realizing that the more diversity they have, the better they are at problem solving. And that comes simply from perspective. Of course, we're going to problem solve better because each of us have a different reason for why we need the problem solved. So to run an effective company, quote unquote, culture, you should not mirror everything that is already there. Otherwise, the company is not scaling, is not growing, is not being profitable in all the ways it can be.
0: I liken this to agriculture, if you will, you know. When when we had this diversity of crops, yes. we had healthier soil, and now we have monoculture and it's killing our soil, right? And I think it's kind of like the same way. If everybody's like all trying to be the same in a workplace, mm-hmm. it's boring. It's imagine like if you went out to eat and all they had was pizza. <laughs> right. If- And you're like, but I don't, I'm not in the mood for pizza. And you're like, well, that's it. You can have this pizza place or that pizza place, or there's another pizza place down the street, but that's all we got. Like, that would be terrible. That's a nightmare.
1: Exactly. Did you know that when cell phones first came out and you remember when we were able to rotate phones, because every developer was right-handed. They all flipped it this way. And the first time a left-handed person did this, the phone didn't work because left-handed people.
0: That's me. I'm (laughs) left-handed.
1: Right. But they would have never known because- That's
0: so interesting.
1: The left-handed 10, 15% of the population were not on the original design team.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's, That's fascinating. Okay. Hit us with number three.
1: So number three, it's not safe to stand out in the workplace. And again, if you are interested in redefining professional, if you're interested in becoming a thought leader in your space and in your industry, the only option you have is to stand out. Thought leaders are contrarian by nature. And we take the risk that nobody else is willing to take because we believe that things can be better than they are. So if your goal is to make a meaningful change, then don't fit in. You were designed to stand
0: out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it kind of takes me back. For those of you who are familiar with Brené Brown, she always talks about this quote about being in the arena. And then she talks about if you're not in the arena, also getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your (laughs) feedback. Right? and because so many people are are quick to judge mm-hmm. and quick to exclude and they hide behind the safety of the masses but you're just blending in you're not really special right you know you want to bring your special on then you've got to shine your light and that might be different from what everybody else is doing but it takes courage to do that and that's what she means about showing up and and playing in the arena you know because it's it's safe to like just avoid it and say, oh, you know, I might fail. I might make an idiot out of myself. Maybe I'll lose my job. Like you lost your job yeah, because you stood up for what you believed in. And I want to say to people who are scared of that happening, that could be the best thing that ever happens to you. Like that is, sometimes we need that kick in the butt because we're so scared to make the move, but we're miserable where we are. And we need somebody else to say, you don't belong here, get out. And then we're like, I don't have a job. And then you're like, thank God I don't work there anymore. Life is so much better. And I didn't even know it.
1: Quick story. So I lost my job. <laughs> and I did what any reasonable unemployed person did. I went to London for a week. <laughs> said, I'll figure it out when I get back because I needed space. And I had positioned myself responsibly, even leading up to that, to say, okay, if I lose my job, I've got a financial cushion that I was really grateful to have. And you're like, really? You're going on vacation? I'm like, yeah, I haven't had a vacation in like three, four, five years. Yes, I'm going on a vacation.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it's no wonder you burned out between the toxicity and then the just being on all the time. Why did you never take a vacation for so many years?
1: When you're the only person in your department of one, it leaves really little space to vacate. And I would go on many trips or many things. But what's happening? The emails are still going off. People still want things because they don't honor the out of office. There's always an emergency that's really a non-emergency when you get scope and perspective. And again, it's just really about them trying to assert their quote unquote power over employees and people not saying, no, I'm on vacation. And I was guilty of it as well right? I was guilty of not honoring my vacation. I own that.
0: And so I know that now you're in a different space. And now what you do is you empower women in particular to own their space to, as you say, redefine professional. So if you had somebody come to you now, who is like a clone of who you used to be, it's that person who's like an N of one in the office They never take a vacation. It's been five years. What do you tell them?
1: I tell them go reset because you cannot, I know it's cliche, but you really can't pour from an empty cup. You really can't self assess when your mindset is not where it needs to be. And what you'll find is a lot of these things will resolve themselves the minute you take a break.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always think that it starts with your mindset. Yeah. Because we're so stuck in our heads that we can't make the move. So I always yeah. work with my clients first on the mindset, and just like imagine, and then what would it require? And just like, just let's just walk through it, like visually, mentally, let's just problem solve. You're not doing anything yet in the real world, right? We're just playing. And then you figure it out. And then you start implementing the things in the real world. And all of a sudden, like your biggest fear doesn't transpire.
1: This. I think the research says like 99% of the things we prepare for never happen.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And I'll actually ask a lot of my clients, especially the ones that, you know, run anxious. I'll ask them, you know, of all the things that you've catastrophized about, what percentage of them have come true? And they'll say like, none. And I'm like, okay, so what I want you to do now is whenever your brain comes up with these stories to tell yourself, There's like a 99.999% chance that this is never going to happen. Now, what do you do with that, right? Because you can't let the 0.0001% chance of something happening take over your life. It just doesn't make sense.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. I've also been very careful about the clients I choose to work with, right? Because this is a partnership. Yes. And them really understand the fine line between coaching and advising versus when they need therapy and to say like, this is not the same thing. And to stand firm on that line, because the two intersect and overlap so frequently.
0: And I would know because I'm both a therapist and a coach. (laughs) And I don't do therapy anymore. I just do coaching. But I am really clear about when they need what, and I'll tell them straight up. And it's it's not just that for me in terms of selecting your clients, but also you got to find people who are willing to do the work. Yes. Because you could be stuck all you want, right? But if you want to stay stuck, I'm not going to be able to help you, right? You're going to have to want to change. And that's really just for anybody who's a coach. I mean, I think anybody would agree with that. So... But listen, I have to tell you something, you know, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. This has been a total delight. I'm totally happy that you came on and you shared your story. So thank you very much for that. And now if there's a woman out there or somebody who um, fits your other descriptions of person of color, neurodiverse, somebody who really resonated with your message of redefining professional that wants to learn more about where to find you and what else you're up to, where should they go?
1: Yes, definitely check out my website at www.thesagestuart.com. I'm also on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash the sage And definitely reach out because it takes a community. No one is self-made. I tell people that all the time. The self-made people are lying to somebody (laughs) we all had help coaches have coaches Yes.
0: (laughs) thank you for saying that that yes people need to hear that
1: coaches also have coaches um so yeah and if it's not me like then let me help you find somebody who will be
0: yeah thank you thank you so much yeah for all of it for the work that you do in the world for the message that you're here to deliver and for who you are as a role model, because that is really, really important. So thank you for all of that. So for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. And if you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye everybody.